Parsha Shlach, first half of the Parsha, we have the story of the Meraglim, the spies or scouts that Moshe sent to Eretz Canaan. It was a catastrophe. Not entirely clear, we'll touch on this a little more later, whether the sending of the spies itself was a mistake or whether the report to the spies was the sole problem and the reception of the report by the people. But whatever it was, the thing went badly awry. They, 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 didn't, they spurned Eretz Canaan, they refused to go in, they didn't trust Hashem that he'd be able to bring them in. Hashem was quite angry, and he eventually, Moshe prayed that Hashem shouldn't simply wipe out the whole people, but Hashem, Hashem eventually told Moshe what he would do was that he would kill all the, all the adults, all the people who were 20 years and above, would all die in the desert over the next 40 years, None of them would enter the, the promised land, only Kalev and Yifun and Yeshua ben Nun. The children, the children they were so worried about, would be uh, ravaged by the Canaanites. They're going to be the ones who would enter Eretz Canaan, the, the irony, the land, the land that they spurned, Haaretz Hashem Astemba. And again, the Torah reiterates over and over, Pigrechem, your, your carcasses, Pigrechem Atem, Yipulub Amidbar will fall in the desert, Bnechem will, will wander the desert for 40 years, until your carcasses cease dying in the desert. 40, 40 years, uh, corresponding to the 40 days that the spies traveled through the land. I swear, Hashem says, this whole assembly, the people above 20, will all die. They will all cease to exist in the desert. And uh, that's what it says. The, the spies died. The whole the whole nation died. Above, above, the nation above above twenty. Yeshua ben Nun, ben They're the only ones who survived. The Torah makes it extremely clear. It reiterates over and over that the reason the Jews all died in the desert is because of the sin of the miraculous whether the sin was the sending of the miraculum itself, or, or particularly the, the way they reacted to the spies, that's why they were all killed in the desert. Other than, other, otherwise, they were, they were preparing to go into Eretz Canaan, they would have entered the land of Canaan imminently. The Degolim, I believe some commentaries say, the, the, the banners described in the beginning of Amidbar was, was, were military preparations. At that point, they were still prepared to go into Eretz Canaan. But the, because of the sin of the miraculum, that's why Hashem chose to exterminate the whole generation, that whole generation of the desert, until, uh, until they were all dead and a new generation arose who, were, who, who Hashem allowed to go into Eretz Canaan. Despite the fact, though, that the Psukim are so clear that this was a punishment for the sin of the Miraglim, remarkably, despite all that, Ibn Ezra and Rambam both offer a different explanation for why that whole generation died in the desert and only the younger generation entered Eretz Canaan. Ibn Ezra is going on Pashas Beshalach. The Jews had left Egypt. They were at the edge of the sea. They were pursued by the Egyptians, and they panicked. They said, we should have stayed in Egypt. We, we, what are we going to do now? The Egyptians are closing in on us. They were panicked and, uh, and hopeless. Ibn Ezra says, Yesh Moa, I don't understand. Machna Gedola, a large camp of 600,000 men, why were they so afraid? Strength in numbers, safety in numbers. Why couldn't they stand up and fight? They, they, they had plenty of men. Why didn't they fight? Fight for themselves, fight for their families. Why were they so afraid? Says Ibn Ezra, Tshuva, the answer is, the Mitzrim had previously been the masters of the Israelites, and this generation that had left Egypt, Lamad Minura of Lispal Ol Mitzrayim, they were accustomed from their youth to, to bear without complaint, without, uh, without fighting back, the yoke of Egypt, they had uh, low souls, they, 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 they did not have bold and proud and high-spirited uh, souls. How could it be, psychologically, they couldn't? How could they suddenly turn around and take up arms against their erstwhile masters? They weren't trained, they, they, they weren't martial, they, they simply weren't trained as soldiers. Proof, he says, Amalek, Amalek Bob Amuat, Amalek came to attack the Jews at the end of Parshat B'Shalach with a small force. He claims it was a small force. We'll see; it's not uh, not necessarily the case. But Ibn Ezra claims Amalek had only had only uh, marshaled a small force against the Jews. If not for the Tefillah of Moshe, they would have lost because, again, 
because they may have had the numbers on their side, but they didn't have the morale, they didn't have the, they didn't have the, the psychological makeup of a military force. Hashem levado gedolos, a little rhyme, a little poetic couplet here. Hashem, who does great things, and, and only, he, only he truly understands, he's the great strategist. He, he caused Sibave, this is the key line, Sibave, he brought about, Shemesu he brought about that the whole nation, the males that had left Egypt, should all die in the desert. They had, no, they, had no, they had no ability, they had no power to fight against the Canaanim. Originally, he says, the problem was largely fighting Mitzrayim, because they had been their erstwhile masters. Now he extends this to Amalek and the Canaanim. They couldn't fight anybody, they simply weren't martial. They didn't have the right psychological makeup to do that. Until a new generation had arisen, Shekom Dara Achar Dara Hamidbar Shloro Golis, a nation born, a, a generation born in freedom who had never been slaves. Vaislam Nefesh Gavoa, they had the opposite of Nefesh Shvela, they had Nefesh Gavoa, a lofty soul, uh, proud souls. Kesheris Karti, but Divrei Moshe, Parshish Veilashmos. He alludes to a, a similar idea that he mentioned in Parshish Most regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. Ibn Ezra makes the remarkable suggestion that perhaps the reason Hashem caused Moshe to be brought up and raised in the house of Paro by Paro's daughter is because Moshe had to leave the Jews and stand up to Paro and face down the king. He couldn't have done that had he been a slave. Hashem wanted him to be a proud and aristocratic person who would be able to go, go head-to-head with Paro and not be cowed, not be intimidated. So the Ben is emphasizing the importance of of psychology, of, of one's training and background, for the, even if physically you have the numbers, you have the strength, but, but if you don't have the, the mentality, the frame of mind to do, to do it, you won't be able to do it. So Moshe was, was, was aided in his leadership ability, in, in his ability to, to, uh, to confront Paro by being raised aristocratically, and the Jewish people, the, the, in, the, in the, negative, the, the, negative, the negative side of that, the Jewish people were not able to fight, even when they had the numbers to mount a successful defense, were not able to psychologically because they weren't trained in warfare and they had a slave mentality and they, they were unable to fight against Amalek or Canaan or Mitzrayim. The Tur, Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, the Tur, famous for his halachic code, but he also wrote a commentary to the Torah, which is largely uh, an anthology of earlier sources like Ramban and Ibn Ezra, but he, but he, but he does add his own comments as well. The Tur brings this Ibn Ezra and he says... He says, if an Ezra didn't see a Midrash, the Midrash says, V'shalishim al-kulo. It says that when Paro set up his system of slave labor in Parshashmos, it says he appointed Shalishim al-kulo. Kipshuto Shalishim means officers, taskmasters of some kind. But the Midrash understands it from the word Shalosh, three, that there were three Mitzrim for every Jew. So no, actually, the Mitzrim outnumbered the Jews. There were actually more Mitzrim than Jews. There may have been hundreds of thousands of Jews, but there were thrice as many Mitzrim. And there's another opinion in the Midrash that says 300. They actually outnumbered the Jews by 300 to 1. So had Ibn Ezra seen this Midrash, he wouldn't have asked the question. He asked, how could it be that a large nation of 600,000 couldn't fight against the Mitzrayim? The answer is, Mitzrayim were, even, were an even larger nation. Amalek, he says, Ibn Ezra says, Amalek came ba'am, uh, ba'am, ba'am, uh, with only a small force. Who told him that? Mihigidlo. Who told him that the Amalek came with a small force? Maybe they came with... Uh, a very heavy force. Amalek was not such a was not such an ancient nation. Amalek was the Amalek was the grandson, I believe, of Asa, of Eliphaz, and Amalek. So the Jews had miraculous reproductive success in Mitzrayim. Uh, Hashem helped them. I'm not sure how big Amalek could have been. Maybe Amalek was just the leader, and they, they had mercenaries, or they had people who joined Amalek. But whatever it is, the Torah says the Torah doesn't have a problem with the Benazir's theology or psychology or overall approach. He just says. Ibn Ezra's whole problem is based on the assumption that the, the Jews outnumbered their, or were an even match, or outnumbered their, their, their enemies. The Torah says, no, maybe they didn't. Maybe, maybe their enemies actually outnumbered them. The, the more fundamental question is here, here is that, what is the Torah doing? The Torah is saying that Hashem caused them to all die in the desert so he could raise a martial generation who was more capable psychologically and by training of fighting in Canaan, the Pasuk in Pashashlach, the Pashashlach says something very different. It says they died because of the sin of the Miraglim, not because Hashem wanted to engineer a demographic replacement to, to, to get a better army. So that question, surprisingly, I saw very little, I, saw, I couldn't find, I barely found anyone who raises this. The one, the, the one, the one, the one, I'm sure there are others who raise it as well, but, but the one, the one, 
Sefer I saw that raises this objection is a Sefer Mechokike Yehuda by Rabbi Yehuda Leib Krinsky, one of the classic 19th century super commentaries on Ibn Ezra. He brings Ibn Ezra and he brings the Torah and he says, the, besides the, the Torah's objection that maybe the, the numbers weren't as, uh, weren't as, weren't as uh, the, the, way, the way Ibn Ezra thought, Rabbi Krinsky asks more fundamentally. He says, Bamas, the, the, the Ibn Ezra's pshat, Ibn Ezra is giving you the impression that they didn't do anything wrong. It was just Hashem, it was a Siba, it was, it, it, was, uh, and it, it was all a pretext. Hashem wanted to replace them with a stronger fighting force, and this thing about the Meraglim was some kind of pretext. That's Ivus uh, Hadin, that's unjust, that, that's iniquity, he says. He punished them for no fault of their own, and he made an excuse to, 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 to finish them off just so we could have a better army. That's uh, theologically a very provocative chat. Okay, Ibn Ezra says this idea, but as I mentioned earlier, Rambam says this idea as well. Rambam says that the, the Rambam is discussing the, the reasons for mitzvahs, and the Rambam has a famous idea, that a famous, controversial, provocative idea, that Rambam has trouble with karbanos. Karbanos don't really fit into his philosophical worldview very well. So Rambam explains, or seems to explain, that the, there, there's argument what the Rambam actually meant here, but the Rambam seems to say that the that really, when Hashem gave us the Torah and, and, and taught us monotheism and took us away from Avodah Zarah, really he should have eliminated Karbanas entirely, but it would have been psychologically very difficult. People at that time were used to that mode of worship, of offering sacrifices, and for Hashem to suddenly say, no more Karbanas, everyone just uh, engage in tefillah and, and, and Torah, and no more Karbanas, would have been very difficult for people who, were, who had grown up that that was the way you worship God. It would be like somebody today telling us, no more davening, none of that, just meditation and contemplation. It would be hard for us to do. We're used to tefillah as a fundamental way of serving God. So that's what Hashem did. So the Rambam says, you might think that this is, uh, is that really how Hashem works? By using these subtle and indirect means, he says, so many halachas and so many mitzvahs with details and set times and so on, they're all uh, only of secondary importance, take us away from Avodah Zarah. Says Rambam, yes, that is how Hashem works. Hashem uses the most effective means for accomplishing his goals, even if they're sometimes devious and indirect. And as a mushal, as an example, he says, when Hashem took the Jews out of Egypt in Parshish Peshalach, it says he didn't take them through the Derech Eretz Plishtim, Kikarovu. It was too close. He was afraid that they would, that they would uh, turn tail, as they actually tried to several times, and return to Egypt. And he says... Because he knew that they couldn't uh, withstand battle, they couldn't withstand the enemy. So the same thing, Hashem knew he couldn't just tell us, cold turkey, no more karbanas. He knew we couldn't tolerate that, so he, he used a subterfuge to, to wean us away from, to wean us away from Avodazar. And, and he makes the mushal explicit, he says, very similar to Ibn Ezra, he says, just as a person who was raised as a slave can't suddenly cease being a slave put down his bricks and mortar, wash his hands from their dirt, and go out and fight, he says. With giants, you lead the Hanak immediately, he says. So too, a person who's used to all these type of pagan forms of worship can't just drop them and engage in a more contemplative monotheism. And just like, he says, Hashem, Hashem led the people by, by, by delaying them in the Midbar until they became strong, he says. We know the Midbar desert, he says, the, the Spartan, the star conditions in the desert, Ray, that, that, that raises tough people, he says, good soldiers. Too much ease and comfort raises weaklings, he says. He says the, 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 the harsh conditions of the desert raises uh, strong people, he says. And also people who were born who had never experienced avdus and submission. And that was all, he says, by Hashem leading them through the desert. So too it was Hashem's attitude when he gave us the Torah. So Rambam, in passing, in this mashal, Rambam also says, like Ibn Ezra, that the reason Hashem caused us to be stuck in the desert for 40 years was because he wanted to raise better soldiers, soldiers who had not known Kniyav Avdus, submission and servitude, soldiers who grew up in the tough environment of, uh, of the desert, they would be the ones who'd be successful in invading Eretz Kanan. Again, amazing, the Psukim give a different reason of uh, why they died in the Midbar, the Psukim make it very clear, they died because of their sins, of the Meraglim. Rambam, like Ibn Ezra, give a different explanation, Hashem did that because it was a more effective it, it, it yielded a more effective fighting force than the psychologically uh, unprepared Jews, than the, the Jews who, who didn't have the training or the psychological makeup to be able to fight effectively against the Kanana. There's a, 
while we're on this topic, I, while, while I was preparing the share, I saw an amazing Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer gives a different answer to Ibn Ezra's question, why the Jews didn't fight at, uh, at the Yamsuf. He says it was actually God's will that they should not fight. Why? Because the Mitzrayim had hosted the Jewish people during the famine in the time of Yaakov. The, the Jews went down to Mitzrayim, the, the Mitzrayim, because of Yosef, the Mitzrayim were good to the Jews, they, they provided them hospitality. And because of that, it, it was years later, after all, everything the, the Mitzrayim did in, 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 during the Gullus Mitzrayim, it was still not appropriate for the Jews themselves to take up arms as villainous, as, uh, as evil as the Mitzrayim had been, it was still not appropriate for the Jews to take up arms themselves against the, the Mitzrayim. We find this explicitly in the Torah, a similar idea. It says that we're told, Lo of Mitzri, we shouldn't uh, completely revile Mitzrayim, because you were once a ger, you were a stranger in need of their hospitality in his land. So after everything the Mitzrayim did, there the Pasuk means that the third generation can marry into Israel. We, we shouldn't uh, reject him more than, more than past the, at, at the third generation anymore. Dorish Lishi uh, can marry. But again, everything the Mitzrayim did, Hashem drowned them all in the Amshif. They were tremendous Rishayim and so on. And they, 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 denied God's, uh, they, they denied God's sovereignty and so on. And they, did, they were horribly cruel and genocidal. But after all that, we also owe them a, an ancient debt of Akar Zatov. At the end of the day, Hashem preferred that we do not actually take up arms against the Mitzrayim because we owe them this debt of gratitude. Now, maybe this is Drush. This is in the Drushes of the Chasim Sofer. But at the end of the day, it's a very powerful lesson that uh, after all the bad that, uh, that somebody does for you, that doesn't totally wash away the good. If there was some good at some point, we still have to acknowledge that and we still owe a certain amount of Akar Zatov. So for the remainder of our, of our talk tonight, I want to discuss uh, this general topic of, again, I don't really have much to say, I don't really have a satisfactory resolution for how Rambam and Ben Ezra can say this, at, at such, uh, say this idea that's at such odds with the simple reading of the Psukim and Parshashlach, but I want to discuss the general idea of military preparation, the extent to which Hashem prefers to, to conduct wars, that we should conduct wars, but that the whole point of this Rambam and Ibn Ezra, Hashem obviously makes Nisim. When Hashem brought the Jews into Eretz Canaan, he split the Yardin, one of the great, great biblical Nisim. He compares it to Kriyas Yamsuf. The, 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 Hashem compares it to Kriyas Yamsuf. He stopped the sun at Givon. He toppled the walls of Yericho. So Hashem made great, great Nisim in, in the conquest of the land of Canaan. Yet, according to Rambam and Ibn Ezra, despite the fact that the Psukim described these, these magnificent Nisim, Hashem still preferred to have the conquest accomplished by an army more suitable than the generation that left Egypt, an army that, had the, that, that, that did not have the slave mentality, that were born free, that, that were trained, trained in war, that were raised in the desert. We, we see that they're taking for granted the, the, this idea that, that Hashem prefers to conduct wars, prefers that we conduct wars, mostly to the extent possible. This is, part of, this, is, uh, this is basically an example of a more general principle that we've shown him say in many cases that even when Hashem makes Nisim, Hashem prefers to minimize the, 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 the deviation from Derech HaTeva. Hashem prefers to stick with Derech HaTeva as much as possible and only makes Nisim when necessary. And even when he is making a nase, and, and the nase is minimized, even Kriyas Yamsuf, Rishonim explained, was done, some Rishonim explained, or Aldag, was done with a wind. It was a nase, of course, but, but it, it wasn't just out of nothing. It was done with with, somewhat within Derech HaTeva, and so on. And war, in particular war, we see here that the Rambam and Ezra take for granted, the Rambam and Ezra assume that HaKadosh Baruch Hu preferred that the war, the conquest of Canaan, with all its Nisim, should still be accomplished by a force that Derech HaTeva was a more effective fighting force than the, the Yotzi Mitzrayim, who were not. So I wanted to explore this idea further, discuss uh, other examples of this, counterexamples, and just discuss some further perspectives on this general question of war in the, in our, in the rabbinic tradition, war in Aramisara, to what extent does HaKadosh Baruch Hu prefer that we do this B'derech HaTeva, and to what extent does he say, just recognize that it's all from God, and, and he'll take care of it. The truth is, the Miraglim themselves, we mentioned earlier, that some of Arshim learn, Rashi seems to learn, that Hashem was displeased with, with, that, with their decision to send Miraglim, that Shlach Lecha, Rashi brings Ladatcha, if you want to do it, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to give you the, the rope to hang yourself. I'm going to let you do it if you want. It's against my will. I told you the land is good. I told you I'm going to help you. You don't need to send out spies. 
Ramban disagrees. Ramban says that the Torah never relies on Nisim. The Torah expects us to wage war in Bader HaTeva. The way armies prepare for war is by gathering intelligence, by sending spies. That was absolutely the right thing to do, says Ramban. The whole hate of the Meraglim was the way they reacted to the Meraglim, the, the, the details of the report and the way the Jewish people responded to it. But the Meraglim themselves is fine. That, that was Bader HaTeva. We find that, that the, the Jews continue to send Meraglim. After the, despite the epic disaster of, of, the, of these Meraglim and Parsha Shlach, Moshe later sent Meraglim to scout the city of Yazer, Nevra Yarden. Yeshua sent Meraglim at least twice. We're, we're, learning in the, we're learning in the Sunday morning Navi share. Yeshua sent Meraglim and Perak Beis to Yericho before they invaded Yericho. And Yeshua sent Meraglim later in Perak Zion when they prepared to, in, to, to attack the Ai, the city of the Ai. Yeshua sent Meraglim again. So at least three times after the disaster in Parsha Shlach, the Jews continue sending Meraglim. So the Ramban is saying, you see that sending Meraglim is fine because Hashem generally does want us to wage our wars with Derech HaTeva. There's a, there's a story. I remember when I was young, I looked it up, I, I saw it, it, I saw it, I, I found a trace back to various, uh, various um, religious biographies, but the, the, the story goes as follows. In the town of Brisk, during the, the era of Rechaim Salavechik, a, a certain group once put together a satirical play on the, on the theme of Tziva Ivri, the Jewish army. They made a play mocking kind of rabbinic attitudes toward war, the, the kind of the otherworldly, unrealistic, uh, you know, you know, academic ways of fighting wars, full of Torah and halacha, but lacking any sense of, uh, of, of actual military competence. So they, 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 the skit went as follows, that before they began following the psukim in, in, in Chumash Dvarim, they made the, the, they made the announcement to anyone who's built a new house and hasn't inaugurated it, go back to his house, maybe, maybe he'll die in the war, lest he die in the war. So a thousand soldiers left, they marched home. Then another official got up and said, anyone who's planted a vineyard, below Hillelo, also the, as the psukim say in Dvarim, should return home. So another 2,000 people, people left. Uh, a third official said, anyone who's uh, done Averson to a woman and not done Nisuin yet should go home, lest he die in the war and someone else will marry his wife. Another 2,000 soldiers left. So a fourth official said, then anyone who's afraid, then is soft-hearted, uh, should go home and rather than damage the morale of the army. Another 3,000 soldiers left. Now at this point on the stage, there were only two people left. One of them was playing the Gona of Vilna, the Vilna Gona. The other one played the Shagasari. So these two, the, the last two soldiers in the army, then began a halachic discussion of who has precedence in the mitzvah of fighting a war. Basically, this whole thing was meant to be a mockery of how silly and disconnected from reality rabbinic attitudes, Torah attitudes toward war are. So when they told the outraged uh, traditional Jews, when they told the story to Chaim Salavechik, they said, "Look what they're doing! They're, uh, look at this! Look at this mocking skit they made." Chaim said, "They're right. Everything they did is, is is a faithful depiction of how war of how war worked in, in Jewish society. They just left out the final act. The final act was these two Zikanim, the Vilna Gaon and the Shagas Aryeh." these perhaps not very martial-looking uh, figures, they went and they won the war. That's what they left out. Yes, this is exactly how a war was fought, according to the Torah, without uh, apparently that much, uh, paying much attention to sensible military strategy and the general, as it's generally understood. But they won. You do what Hashem wants and you win. That, this, is the story I, this is the story that I heard when I was young, and it, it floats around the internet today. It's not clear if this refers to an actual, if this, was an, if this is an actually true story, it certainly is true that the Maskilim made, made, the, the, made all kinds of virulent uh, poems and plays uh, mocking traditional Judaism. People like Yudaleb Gordon and Mendel Amochashvarim did produce the most uh, biting satire, Kucho Shalyud and others, which, uh, which savaged uh, rabbinic observance. So uh, it's certainly something they could have done, but nobody, has, nobody apparently has actually found any uh, actual historical reference to such a skit, but in any event, this is the, this is the perspective of the story, that yes, they, 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 they followed halacha, and they did everything by the book, and it may, it may not have looked as, to be the most, the most effective way of preparing for war, but that's what Hashem told us to do, and we win because we do Ratzon Hashem.
I mentioned earlier that I mentioned earlier that that in general, wars wars are fought with Teva, with spies, and and in general, in general we, we in general we do fight wars in accordance with uh, with Teva. There is one exception in Tanakh, the exception that proves the rule, where Hashem deliberately sabotaged the army. He deliberately uh, enervated the army and made it less strong than it could have been out of a concern that the Jews would take credit for, the, for their own military victory and not give credit to Hashem. That is a story in Sefer Shoftim, the Melchama of Gidon against Midian. Gidon, known as Yerubal also, he raised an army. The army apparently had to fight against Midian, who was oppressing the Jews. The army numbered initially 32,000 people. Hashem said, your army is too big. Rav Throughout history, generals universally complain bitterly to their political masters, I need more men, I need more men, I need more men. If you want me to win, I need more men, get me more men. In this case, Hashem said, you have too many men. Your army is too big. Not a problem generals usually complain about. Hashem said, your army is too big. Why? Lest the Jews brag and become boastful. And they'll say, Yadi Hoshieli. We won. We won by the strength of our own arms. I don't want that to happen. I'm going to make you win. But I want it to be clear that it is not your own valor. It is me, it is me helping you, Hashem said. So, first of all, I want you to go make the announcement, as, in, as we just heard. Me, Yari, Becharid, Yashav, Yitzvah, Mehar, Gilad. Anyone who's afraid should leave. So, 22,000 people left and 10,000 remained. Hashem said, okay, you whittled down the army by more, to, to less than a third of its original size. It's still too big. Odham Rav, you still have too many men. So he gave a famous and somewhat mysterious test. He said, take them down to the water, and I'll give you a selection procedure for how to, how to choose who will stay and who will leave. has to do with how they drink. Uh, I'll tell you who will stay and who will leave. It depends how they drink. It says that um, anyone who yolok b'lashono, who, who drinks the water with his tongue, like the dog drinks, put him on one side. Anyone who kneels on his knees... Uh, it is a separate category, and those who were malachikim biyadam, those who drank with their hands, LPM to their mouth, were only 300. The rest of them went on their knees. Hashem told Gidon, these 300, this is your army. Dismiss the other uh, 9,700. This is your army. With these 300 people, Oshia Eschem, Benasati, Esmidim, Biyadecha, Vachalam, Yelchu, Ishlom, everyone else go home. So Gidon started out with an army of 32,000. He ended up with an army of 300, less than 1% of his original army. The opposite is, so again, usually Hashem wants things to go B'derech HaTeva. This is the exception that proves, to rule, that proves the rule. Hashem said, I don't want this, this, this war to operate B'derech HaTeva. I want it to be crystal clear that this is me doing this Hashem and not you. Kalah Yisrael should not be able to say, Yadi Yoshi And therefore, this is at least a simple reading of the Psukim. Hashem did not want the people to say Yadi Hoshiali, and therefore he whittled down the army to less than a third of the uh, less than one percent of its original size. The the Barbanel actually seems to learn a little differently. He seems to learn not Kipshuto. He learns that the that, that the primary goal here was actually Hashem did not want those soldiers in the army, either because they weren't brave and they, and they wouldn't be able to uh, they, they wouldn't be able to fight well. Or because they were they were Avaryanim, the the the, the Abarbanel says following Ralbag that the that the, those who kneeled they, they were used to kneeling because they were they because they because 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 apparently they were the the the, 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 the says that, that that the ones who kneeled were, were lazy they didn't they didn't have as much energy and they they drank they they kneeled down to drink instead of drinking with more vigor. Abarbanel suggests that 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 the ones who kneeled were the ones who had worshipped the Baal, and therefore Hashem wanted to weed out those who were, who were sinners, who would not merit divine assistance. So according to Barbanel, the primary reason for this, for this procedure was not, was not to diminish the army. It was, it was primarily to weed out soldiers who were unsuitable and who would not merit divine assistance. The reason Hashem said, I don't, your army is too big, that was a pretext, he says. That, that, that was not to embarrass people who were... Uh, that, was, that, was, that was not to embarrass people who were... The real reason was, he says, was people should have an excuse when they were leaving that they shouldn't be branded as cowards. They should uh, they should they should announce that they they should announce that that anyone who's uh, that, that the army's too big they have to go home. 
he says that the but 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 the real reason was he says that that, that the real reason was as a cover for the for, for, for cover for people who were going to leave. He says that the. He says that the, pe- the people shouldn't see them. They should get up in the morning because it was very embarrassing. And he says that the that, and similar to this reason that Hashem said Hashem said that the army's too big. That was a pretext. It was losis tam la amshi yeshuvu. But the tachlas amiti, the real reason was that, that that we don't want the ones who are not brave or the avdevadizar because they're not going to be the ones who'll be successful anyway. But the simple reading of the pasuk is that 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 the Hashem's motive was actually the. Actually, the the desire to to, to to cut down the size of the army. Ralbag says the reason was both. It was both because if the ones who are afraid are never supposed to serve in the army, as per the psukim and dvarim, and B because uh, to, to teach Israel that, that that it was a nace and it wasn't their own military prowess. But I'll call upon him. This is an exception where the this is an exception where Hashem wanted the army to not be to not have any chance of succeeding b'derech hateva. But the, usually it's the other way around. I saw a fascinating comment of the Meshachachma, Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk. Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk, a much beloved commentator on, on Rambam and Chumash. Uh, in, 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 in certain aspects, he was very traditional. He was, uh, he, he, he was a, a deeply faithful and traditional Rav. On the other hand, he also had some very, very interesting ideas with regard to history and and uh, and uh, the process of, of history as as orchestrated by Kodesh Baruch Hu. He has the following passage. It says that the in Parshas Chukas, I believe, it says that the Knani Melech Harod attacked the Jews and and took a prisoner, took prisoners or one prisoner. Yisrael made a neder. They said, "If Hashem will do us this this grace of giving the giving over the enemy into our hands, then we'll we'll destroy their cities." I'm not sure what I'm not sure we, how, where he sees all this in the Psukim, but Rameir Simcha says what the Jews were asking for was something very specific. They weren't just asking for military victory. They were saying, up till now, all of our Hashem led us with miracles, the Matrim that were killed in the Yamsuf, and protected by the clouds of glory. As soon as they sinned, they would be abandoned to the to the to the mercy to the mercies of their enemies and they would lose. It's like a child who's supported by his parents. His father might be very successful and very capable of supporting him, but the child is, is dependent. He might have everything he needs, but psychologically he knows he's a dependent. He knows he has no ability to stand on its own. And it's not, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not a dignified position. It's, it's, not a, it's not a satisfactory position to be in. He says, similarly here, to be constantly led by Hashem and, and to have no ability to, to provide for themselves to be constantly protected by Hashem. On the one hand, it's nice. Hashem is the, gives you whatever you need. On the other hand, it's not a cover for the nation, he says. And also that there's no respite. Anything goes wrong. They do any hate and, they're and, then, and then Hashem withdraws his protection and they suffer, he says. What they were asking for Hashem was, please give us the ability to, to stand up for ourselves. Give us the ability to fight and win B'derech HaTeva. And, and let, let this give us a good reputation among the nations. They'll see us as a gibar b'yom krav. As, uh, as, as, mil- as, milita- as military heroes. And what they were asking for was, don't just snap your fingers and eradicate the enemy. Help us win B'derech HaTeva. Help us win the war acting B'derech HaTeva. He says the... That's what he says. That's what the Jews were asking for. They, they Dafka wanted to win B'derech HaTeva. This is reminiscent of, a, of another very, very interesting idea of the, of the Rameir Simcha. They published a letter for Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk, and the, this was after the, the Balfour Declaration, the, the San Remo Conference, in, where, where, the, where the nations of the world granted Israel the, the right to Eretz Israel, the right to Palestine. They, they granted the Jews, the, the recognized the Jews as, as, have, as being the rightful, the rightful owners of Eretz Israel. So this was very inspiring to certain Jews, including some very traditional rabbinic thinkers, including Rameir Simcha. And he wrote, he says... There is a concern, the Gemara Psachim says, that God made us promise that in Golos we would not, that as long as we're in Golos, we would not, we would not fight against the, the, we would not force our way back into Israel, we would not fight against the sovereignty of the, of the nations of the world. So, and some, 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 some rabbinic thinkers felt that any attempt to make mass aliyah or to push ourselves back into Eretz Israel is a violation of the solemn oath that the Gemara and the Midrashim record that Hashem made the Jews promise. 
Mayor Simcha of Devinsk said that after the Balfour Declaration, where the nations of the world are allowing us to return to, return to Eretz Yisrael, there's no longer a concern for the Shalosh Vos, like certain other rabbinic thinkers. He said, not everyone agreed, the Satmar Rebbe famously disagreed, but the Mayor Simcha of Devinsk, along with uh, other rabbinic thinkers, felt that insofar as the nations of the world are allowing us to return to Palestine, then th- th- there's no violation of the Shavuah. The violation of the Shavuah is the Shavuah just requires us to respect their sovereignty, but if they allow us in, the masters of the land, the, the, the people who signed the Balfour Declaration, they were in charge. They allowed us, after World War I, to go back to Eretz Yisrael. There's no longer an issue of the Shalosh Vus. And Mayor Simcha goes on to say, he says, the first base of Mikdash, the destruction was predicted in great detail over and over by the Nevi'im. Yeshaya, Yirmiya, full of descriptions of what's going to happen, other Nevi'im, of the terrible destruction that would occur if the Jews did not mend their sinful ways. And the return to Israel was also, was also accompanied by Nevi'im. Ezra and Nehemiah, they were Nevi'im. It, it was the end of the biblical period. They were Nevi'im who, uh, who, 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 who guided them back to Eretz Yisrael. Says the Arsameach, says Rameyer Simcha, the destruction of the second base of Mikdash was not directly foretold by Nevi'im. Chazal Darsh and some Psukim and Yeshaya and Yirmiya to refer to the second base of Mikdash. But the Nevi'im didn't directly refer to, the, to, to that. Uh, they were referring to the first base of Mikdash, not the second one. There were no longer any Nevi'im at the time of the Churban by Yesheni. And Miyodea, Rameyer Simcha says, who knows, perhaps the return from this long gullus that began with the Churban by Yesheni, meaning the, the, the return to Israel the, for the last time, for the Bayesh Lishi, maybe that also will happen, B'derech HaTeva, without Nevi'im. And he indicates, he, he's suggesting that the Balfour Declaration could be the beginning of the process of the Gula. This, this is consistent with his comments here that, that there actually is, is an advantage to operating B'derech HaTeva. On the one hand, when Hashem brings Nisim, we see his hand more clearly, we can appreciate his love for us and his care for us. On the other hand, there's a certain glory, there's a certain... There is a certain advantage as well, he says, to, to being able to accomplish things yourself. And, we, and, and Kalah Yisrael asked, in the story of the Kanani Melech Harad, they asked for the power to win their own wars. And according to Rameir Simcha in his letter, that, is actually, that may actually be how the, third, uh, how the final redemption will occur, more B'derech HaTeva than the earlier ones. In an article I saw on this topic, that's where I saw the Meshachachma, he also brings the name of Rabbi Yisrael of Rajin, one of the great uh, Hasidic leaders, he says that when Hashem appeared to Moshe at the burning bush in Parsha Shmos, and he asked him to, to and, he, and he instructed him to take the Jews out of Egypt, Moshe demurred. Moshe said, "Be Hashem, loish dvarim anochi. I'm not a man of words. Gami tomol, gami shilshom, gami oz deberchel avdecha, kichvad perchvad loshon anochi." He resisted. He, he continued. To, he, he repeatedly tried to resist the Kodesh Baruch Hu's charge to redeem the Jews. Chazal say that for seven days. The conversation there, it's only a couple of aliyahs, but uh, the conversation actually lasted for seven days until Hashem finally became angry at Moshe and said, Misam Pelilim. For seven days, Moshe was, was resisting redeeming the Jews. Why? So the Rebbe of Rajin says, he says, because Moshe knew that the Gula Mitzrayim would be B'derech Nes, the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea, he wanted Gula B'derech Ateva, similar to the Arsimech. It doesn't say why, it doesn't say why here, but he wanted Gula B'derech Ateva. And that's why he was not happy with Hashem's plan for redeeming the Jews from Egypt. What finally mollified him was that Hashem promised this gula will be with Nisim, as Hashem said, that I'm going to deliberately make Nisim to show the Paro and the whole world, Kenny Hashem. This gula will be B'derech Nes. But the final gula, he says, the gula Ashlishis will be B'derech Ateva, which is similar to what Rameir Simcha says in his, uh, in his letter, and similar, I guess, similar, I guess, to what Rameir Simcha says in the Meshachachma, that there's an advantage to being B'derech Ateva. The Rebbe of Rajin, I don't know if he has the same reason as the, Mesha, as the Meshachachma, because it's more glorious to fight your own battles, but nevertheless, he, he says a simil- one way or another, he says a similar idea, that there is actually, apparently, an advantage to having Gula B'derech HaTeva. That's what Moshe asked for, and Hashem promised that the Gula L'Asid Lavo will be B'derech HaTeva, not B'derech Nes. A fascinating idea, not the way we usually think about it. But that is the but, but that's an idea that both uh, both Rameir Simcha of Devinsk and the Rabbi Sorel of Rajin say with regard to uh, the Gula Asida. In general, it's a uh, th- th- there, there is there is there is a famous Gemara that also addresses not in a military context but directly addresses this question: What is better to have things B'derech Nes or to have things B'derech Ateva? 
Gemara and Shabbos brings a brisa, the Bavli and Masech Shabbos. It says there was once a man whose wife died and left him a nursing son. They didn't have formula back then. Gemara talks about how they did have a kind of uh, homemade formula, but they didn't have you know, easy, easy access to formula. And he, didn't, he couldn't afford to pay for a wet nurse, which is what people commonly did. So what's he supposed to do? He has a child, he's going to starve, he can't afford, uh, he, he has no mother to nurse him, and he has no money to pay for a nurse. Hashem made a nace, and Hashem made him be able to nurse. His nipples, he, he was able to provide milk for the child, as a woman is able to. So what should our reaction be to the story? Amr Rabbi Yosef, look and see, this must be a great man. How great is this man that, that, that Hashem made such a nace for him? Amr Le'abaye, Actually, no. This is not an honorable person. Hashem had to perform a miracle for him. That, the, that, 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 that it was an abnormal miracle. I always thought, I always thought the, the Gemara meant that to require a nace is something that uh, if you were really on a high madrega, you would, be, you would merit a... That, that Hashem would provide for you b'derech hateva. The, I, I'm looking at the translation I have now, the, the current Steinfeld's translation, they explain differently. They explain that the nace was something that was abnormal for a man to have breasts and nurse. That's something which is uh, that's something which is which is not normal. So that was the that was the problem. But but in any event, the the, the, the Gemara initially said the, the, the Gemara initially said that that that, that, he, that that this person is worthy of great covered because he merited a nace. The Gemara at the end says no that that, that in the case of the, at least in this case of the Shtanlo Sidre Bereshis. That's actually that's actually kamagarua ish that's actually kamagarua ish either because the nace itself is to require a nace is garua or because the nature of this particular nace is something that is uh, is something that is that is um, is something that is that <coughs> something that's garua. Okay, so the. Another source, one other place I like to quote on this general topic is that at the end of Sefer Shmuel Aleph, so, so the Jews lost a, they had a catastrophic military defeat at the hands of the Plishtim, Shaul and Yonason and Shaul's other children were killed in the battle. And at the beginning of Shmuel Beis, David recites a kina, a lament, on the, on, on the loss of the battle and the loss of Shaul and his sons. And he, be, and he begins by saying, Vayomer, l'lamed b'nei Yehuda keshes to teach the children of Yehuda bow and arrow. What does that mean to teach them archery? What's the connection to this kina? So many of the Mepharshim say that the lesson we learn, we've discussed in the past, that the Jewish attitude toward misfortune is we have to say we've sinned, God has abandoned us, why has he abandoned us? It must be that we've sinned. That's true. Rambam writes this famously in Hilchas Tanis, that if you don't learn your lesson, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're being cruel to yourself by not understanding that Hashem wants you to improve. But also, we also have to learn actual lessons. We all, we, it's also an actual lesson. We also have to learn lessons. Rashi says that David was saying, We have to fight wars. Since we see that the, that the heroes of Israel, Shoal and Yehonasan, fell in battle, now you have to learn. They have to learn the best military techniques that are available. They have to learn archery. The Rabbi Yosef Kara says that again. Also, we have to learn archery. He says that, that we have to learn the that, that because Shaul died, we have to teach the we have, to, we, have, we, have to, we have to brush up on our on our military skills. The the Ralbag says that the Ralbag has a slightly different twist. He says that Shaul killed himself or tried to kill himself. Shaul did so because he was afraid of the archers. It says he, he was afraid of the Morim Bakeshas. And they realized that, that archery is, uh, is, is, a, is a lethal and intimidating, uh, intimidating military discipline, and the, weren't, the Jews were not trained in archery. David said, we have to learn archery, because that's one of the most uh, important and effect, or effect, or effective military, military weapons. Rabbi Shai of Trani says just the opposite. He was saying that that uh, the, he has a different shot. He says that Shoal and Yonason used to teach the Jews archery. We have the, the Haftar of Machar Chodesh, that Yonason was practicing archery. He says Shoal and Yonason, besides from being great tzaddikim, they taught the Jews archery. And, and now that the... That, and they were lamenting that now our, our great archery teachers are gone. 
But in any event, we see once again that war, it, it's true that, that, we, we have to, we, that we have to prepare ourselves for war with tefillah and, and with uh, righteousness, but we also have to learn military skills. We also have to learn military techniques. If archery is, a success, is an important military technique, that is what we have to do. We have to, uh, we have to, we have to, we, we, we have to, then that, that, that's, what we, that's what we have to do. We have to, we, 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 we have to practice archery. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a passage in the Rambam, a scathing passage in the Rambam. The, the, the Rambam has a letter on astrology. The Rambam did not believe in astrology. Today we just think that's natural. He was a great philosopher and scientist. Of course he didn't believe in astrology. It's actually a bit of a puzzle because in the Rambam's day, the philosophy that he believed in actually did legitimize astrology, that he did believe that the celestial bodies the cosmology he believed in following Aristotle and the ancient Greeks and the medieval scholastics did actually believe that the celestial bodies influenced the, our world. So we could have believed in astrology. Other Rishonim who were serious rationalists, people like Rolbag, did believe in principle at least that astrology could work. But Rambam didn't. Rambam be- did not believe in astrology. Rambam considered astrology to be uh, very, very dangerous for correct religion. People would astrology he associated with determinism and fatalism, that, that the fate is in the stars, people have no control over themselves and their fates. So Rambam spent a lot of time trying to explain to people that it's up to you, your fate is not preordained, it's not preordained, foreordained, you have free will, and so on. So, in, so the Rambam wrote a letter to the, a famous letter, an essay on astrology, criticizing astrology and denying its, uh, its legitimacy, to, he, he wrote the letter to the Chachamim of Marseille. And in the course of the letter, he writes that, yes, there are a lot of books, he says, on astrology, but it's nonsense, he says. People think anything they see in a book, just, just because uh, people, people write in a learned way about something, they think it must be a legitimate Chachma. It's nonsense, he says. And this is what caused the Churban Beis Amikdash, he says. This is what caused the loss of our Malchus, of our sovereignty, and the Churban Beis Amikdash, and it caused the Golas to be lengthy until the present day. Because our, our ancestors sinned. Why? Because they found all these books on astrology, which are Ikar of Odezara anyway, he says, as we explain in Hilchs of Odezara, and they followed it, and they thought these are glorious Chachmas and, and would be very effective. And because they were so obsessed with astrology, they lonis asku belomidas mulchama, they didn't spend time learning, studying war and useful things like that, and conquest, he says, they thought that astrology would help them. That's why the Nevi'im called the Jewish people schalim and avilim, idiots and stupid people, because they they were obsessed with astrology, and they didn't do useful things like studying war and studying uh, conquest, he says. Vade schalom vavilam hayu, because they followed nonsense. Zachreya toh So again, this is the dominant approach, going back to the beginning Rambam we started with, that the war is generally fought b'derech ha-teva. Hashem engineers things so that wars will be effective b'derech ha-teva, and the, we're supposed to fight b'derech ha-teva, we're supposed to, according to many, according to Rambam, we're supposed to send spies, in general, it's supposed to act b'derech ha-teva, that the Hashem, and also we have to have bitachon and, and mispal for Hashem to help us, but in general, we, we're supposed to learn archery, in general, that there is a major approach that the story of uh, the, the skits or of Chaim Salvechik aside, wars generally are supposed to be fought b'derech ha-teva. Sometimes they're not. We, we, we have the story of Gidon, where apparently Hashem wanted the Jews to fight that war, shalok b'derech ha-teva, so they shouldn't say, so they shouldn't say uh, yadi hoshieli. I looked, up, I looked up the Gemara, I looked up again the Gemara in Shabbos the, the, about, about, about the person who was Nishtana Sidre Bereshis. So Rashi just says that, 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 that this person was, Rashi says this person was, uh, was, was Garua. He says that Nishtana Sidre Bereshis lo zachal li pasach lo share schar. He didn't merit the having the Hashem giving him money, instead he made this nace for him. So I guess that's a little bit ambiguous. The, the Steinfeld's commentary understands it to mean that the nace was abnormal. It was a kind of uh, it, 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 it was not a very attractive kind of nace for a person to develop breast. It was a demeaning and unpleasant nace. But you could learn Rashi. The Rashi just means that a nace at all. Instead of Hashem making him have parnasa, Hashem made a nace, and a person who was on a higher madrega would have merited a Yeshua b'derech hateva, like the story of like the position of Rameir Simcha and Yisrael of Rajin. So further, further Ian and this Gemara and its commentaries are called for. I'll just mention in closing one final thing. The, the Torah warns us that we'll be successful, Hashem will give us success, material success. There's a danger that we'll forget about Hashem, 
and we'll say, Kochi v'otzim yadi, asili yisachayel azeh. We'll say, I did this, this is all me. Kochi, my strength, v'otzim yadi, and the, the might of my hand made all this, uh, all this success. You'll forget, the, the, the Torah warns you, and you're going to forget, v'shachachta, ki Hashem alokecha, hu hanosin lecha koach lasus chayel. You'll forget that, the, that he's the one who gave you the koach. Yes, you have koach to make chayel, but he's the one who gave it to you, and you're going to forget that Hashem is the source of all your good. Some Rishonim learn, Ran, I think, and Abarbanel, some Rishonim learn, there's nothing wrong with saying, Hashem works, Hashem does things, but a person has to remember, He gave you the Koach Lasus Chayel. But as long as you remember to add that, uh, to add that, that point, you're allowed to say, You just have to say, Hashem gave me the Koach. I saw this in a discussion of the Datilumi thinkers in Eretz Yisrael. They, they, have, they have parades honoring their military successes against the enemies of Israel, and they would have and they would have tanks or soldiers and weapons, and they would be saying, and they said, we're saying, Of course, we're remembering to say, that who knows in But we're allowed to say because Hashem works for It is the but we're but we're thankful to Hashem. We acknowledge that Hashem gave us the koach. My father once said this at a Sheva Brachas of one of my children. He mentioned this chat, and uh, our Machutan uh, was not so happy with this, that this is not a very firm-sounding chat. Uh, who says this? You're allowed to say, Kochi Votzim Yadi? We shouldn't say it. We shouldn't say As long as you remember to say, as long as you remember to say, Ki Hashem Elokecha, Hu Anosin Lecha Koach Lasos Chayil, that's fine. But, uh, but, but, but that's the message. Overall, the, uh, again, there are exceptions, like the, like the story of Gidon, Red Kipshuto. But overall, Hashem does generally prefer to act with Derech HaTeva, that uh, even to the extent of causing the Jews, according to Rambam and Ezra, to die in the desert in order to have an army that was militarily more effective, when, when necessary, Hashem does Nisim. Even the conquest of Canaan, there were Nisim. There was the splitting of the Yardane, the toppling of the walls of Yericho, and so on. But in general... There is a you know, well-established principle that extends to military, military uh, operations. In, in, in particular, that Hashem prefers to act The most extreme manifestation of this, perhaps, is the position of Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk and Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin, that it's actually preferable, it's good for the honor of Israel, or for other reasons, to be able to accomplish things and that even the, the Gula Hasida, according to, some suggest, will, will actually occur, at least in part, B'derech and not simply B'derech Nes.